Hello, and welcome to Cap Times Talks, a podcast bringing you smart conversations about big topics in our city. On today's show, we're bringing you something a little bit different, a forum featuring candidates in this spring's Madison School Board election. This was an event hosted earlier this week at Mount Zion Baptist Church in collaboration with Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Alumni and the Simpson Street Free Press. You'll be hearing from three different candidates here. Two of them, Mary Burke and Anna Moffat, are currently on the school board. Burke is running for her seat unopposed. Moffat, however, faces a challenger, Gloria Reyes, the deputy mayor of Madison. The event was moderated by Terry Strong, president of the Madison alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta, and Taylor Kilgore, the managing editor of the Simpson Street Free Press. I'll let Taylor take things from here. Uh, So I will let the candidates introduce themselves. So you all each want to do a short introduction, and then we'll get started with questions. I'll start. Uh, Gloria Reyes here. Uh, Thank you for having me here tonight. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, longtime resident. I went through our middle schools here. I graduated from Madison East High School. Grew up in Madison, uh, living in poverty and facing a lot of the challenges that our children are faced with today. Um, I was also designated as a special ed student early on in my um, uh, days in elementary and middle school. Uh, And I've been able to transcend a lot of those challenges into my professional career. I worked in the State Public Defender's Office. I also worked, spent 12 years in law enforcement and now currently serving as Deputy Mayor to Public Safety, Public Health, Education, uh, Department of Civil Rights, um, and a whole host of other issues. I also um, am the Mayor's Liaison to Immigration. Uh, So I think now more than ever, we need somebody who has the pulse uh, and what's happening in our community uh, to serve on the school board, to have a voice for all of our students uh, and also um, have bring a perspective of, of how important teachers are in our children's life and support their work. Ensure that they are able to bring innovative strategies into the classroom. Uh, and also, I, I bring a strong background in public safety. Now more than ever, we need somebody who brings that perspective and that experience. I have uh, worked on public safety issues in our community as deputy mayor, and I will bring that to the school board. So thank you for having me here today. Hi there, my name is Anna Moffitt. I currently serve as Vice President of the Madison Metropolitan School District's Board of Education. I also serve as the Legislative Liaison for the Board, as well as serving on the Educational Resource Officer Ad Hoc Committee. Um, I also grew up here in Madison, graduated from West High School in 1990, and then went on to education at UW-Madison. Um, I am here on the board because I have been committed to education my entire life. I graduated from UW-Madison with an elementary education degree and then went on to teaching. Um, I truly believe that education is the the greatest equalizer that we can um, have in society to transcend the many barriers that exist for uh, students in our district. And so that's why I've committed my over 20 years um, to the area of education. After having a son with autism, I did have to leave that area of education, but I now work as an advocate for children and youth with mental health needs, which I actually think is critical at this time as we see 
more and more children experiencing trauma and dealing with unmet mental health needs and that impact it has on their education. So thank you all for being here tonight. I'm Mary Burke and I serve on the Madison School Board. I've served for six years and I want to thank the Cap Times for hosting this, Delta Sigma Theta, and the amazing work that they do in our community, Simpson Street Press, uh, and of course, Mount, of course Mount Zion. Coming here takes me back because it's been 18 years since I became acquainted with this neighborhood. Uh, I mentored two boys who lived on Fisher Street, and I became involved with the Boys and Girls Club just as it was starting in 1999 and 2000. I was board chair for nine years uh, for that organization, and actually I just moved in on Sunday uh, down on Fisher Street about two blocks from here. Uh, I look back on that and I see that the progress that I had hoped we would have made in the last 18 years would have been a lot more. I got involved in Boys and Girls Club for exactly why Pastor Allen had said, because education is that key uh, to the lives of so many and a great equalizer. I'm running for school board for, for a third term because I do believe that we have so much more work to do. There has already been a number of school shootings in the United States since the beginning of the year. There's a great deal of consternation locally around, and around the country regarding school security. There was just a recent meeting at La Follette High School um, about this. Can you talk a little bit about how you feel about these issues and your ability to juggle the concerns of the parents and the community while at the same time keeping in mind the needs of all the students served by the district? And why don't we start with Gloria? Sure, thank you. Um, so yeah, the, I actually spoke at the board meeting a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the school shootings and um, this is, uh, definitely something I have in my background is really developing strategies, looking at infrastructure of our schools to ensure security measures. I'm actually currently working on my master's degree in security management, uh, and uh, that is something that we have to take a look at. We have to take a look at every individual school, look at the infrastructure, and identify any gaps. We have to set up teams of security teams within each school uh, to ensure and train them on any sort of suspicious uh, uh, information, uh, anything happening in our schools, and report that. Uh, so we, we have to really, uh, we are in a sense of urgency. We have to protect our students uh, today, and we have to take all measures uh, that we can uh, to ensure that our students are safe during the day. Uh, we have to be able to identify uh, behaviors within our schools, bullying, mental health, uh, provide support for our children and our students. Um, and we have to, we can't do this alone. Our schools can't do this alone. We need our community to come in and be a part of the solution. We need our students to be a part of this solution. 
so what I will bring to the school board is my expertise in law enforcement and in security management to ensure that our schools are safe um, and bringing in uh, our collaborative partners. Um, I, I would say that I share the concerns that many folks have been talking about in the community in La Follette High School. I also have three children that are attend our public schools, so it's a high priority um, for me as well. Um, I, as a board member, I have been open to discussions around what type of security measures we need to have added um, to our comprehensive high schools and middle schools. I'm open to that conversation, but I, I feel that while having that conversation, we also have to simultaneously be talking about preventive strategies that are proactive that will get to the root cause of gun violence. And I believe what we can do as a Board of Education is advocate for common sense gun laws, which I do on a regular basis. Um, I've been out with uh, Joe Parisi talking about the needs around common sense gun laws. I think we need to make sure that our schools are physically safe, emotionally safe, and, and um, meeting our kids' needs so that all of our schools are a welcoming place that students feel like they are valued and belong. And so I think those are really important issues that I've tried to work on as a board member, whether it's funding programs that wrap around our African-American students in elementary schools or increasing access to mental health services through the intensive support team in the Building Bridges program. Well, I share, I share the concerns and thoughts of, uh, of others with this and at our school board meeting that discussed the incident at La Follette recently, uh, I said that we have to draw a line in the sand. Guns in our school are unacceptable. Our students need to feel safe, but we also have to make sure that we are being proactive and engaging students so that they are coming to school ready to learn. And we have to be honest with ourselves that we are not engaging enough students and meeting them where they're at and the interests that they have. And this is starting early. We see students who are in fifth and sixth grade who are still reading at first and second grade levels. They are disconnected with what's going on in the schools. So we have to get at the fundamental purposes that can drive our students to not be engaged in the communities that we're creating in our schools. So safety is number one. But then we have to get below that to how do we engage our students? How do we relate to their needs and their aspirations and their dreams and help them fulfill those? Because what we see with regards to safety is the tip of the iceberg, and what we have to address is what's below the surface. All right, so this is a uh, question from the audience, so I'll just get right to it and kind of combine it with what um, we already um, have planned to ask as well. So um, it says, it seems there's a sense that we must choose between addressing racial disparities or supporting children with disabilities. How will you maintain a, committed, a commitment excuse me, to both often overlapping groups of students. And so I also will um, add to that, uh, will you, can you discuss how you think our district is doing um, in terms of 
um, working with all students and um, serving all students well or all children well? Um, I think I've heard this question come up before and I feel like it's an interesting question. Um, I, I would just give some information out in regard to students with disabilities in our district. I think folks need to know about 40% of our students identified with a disability are African American students. We have a number, I don't know the data for Latino uh, low income students, but disability cuts across all demographic groups. So I really don't think you can silo out disability from other features of our, our student body. Um, with that being said, I uh, am a parent of a child with a significant disability, so I do have that experience of what um, my child has experienced in our school system. And I can say at times it's been really quite tragic to um, have folks in leadership roles seeing my son as a burden rather than a blessing. And so I have brought that um, experience to the Board of Education. In regard to how well we're doing academically, I think we're doing a very poor job educating our students with disabilities. And I think as it intersects with other factors like race and poverty, it's disturbing. When 70% of law referrals are for students with disabilities, and 90% of those law referrals are for black students with disabilities, we have a really big problem. I don't believe that we have to make a choice. I think we need to set the bar on saying that we need to meet all students' needs, period. And that means establishing the relationships between students and their teachers in the classroom every day, with staff, and with understanding the challenges that they face. And the answers aren't easy. There is no silver bullet. There are, the solutions are not out there. You can go through every school district in the entire country and you're not going to find clear answers. But it's for us as the leaders in our school district to set the goals and to set the vision. And the vision needs to be that we're going to meet the needs of every single student, whether they have a disability or not. When we set that, that's what drives our policies. And so anyone who approaches this position on the school board as saying that you can only meet certain students' needs or other students' needs, we are failing our families and our students. So as a school board member, I look to the solutions that are going to meet every student's needs and figuring out how we make that happen. I agree that we have to ensure that all students' needs are met, but that's not happening, okay? That is the reality of what we're dealing with here today. Um, our African-American students and our Native American students are the least included in general education classrooms and experience the greatest amounts of segregation. That means specialized program or half-day programs. I see that in my current work day in and day out as a law enforcement officer, I've seen that. It's not happening. We need to do a racial equity analysis on the special education programming that are, that's happening here today in our schools. We have to. If that has not been done, why not? This is impacting our African American and Native American children. We have to ensure that we are, are, are 
helping all of our students, access for all students, is that what is, that's what we say. The impact of our African-American students, when we talk about the school to prison pipeline, special education, that's what it's doing it. Why are we not talking about that? We need to set policies, we need to review what's happening with our African-American uh, students. And we have to do that today. We are moving in a sense of with a sense of urgency. We have students who are entering our criminal justice system right now today. A large proportion of them are identified uh, IEP status or special ed. What are we doing about that? We have to. We cannot no longer tolerate this. We have to involve our community. We have to work collaboratively with everyone and bring in our expertise in our, in our community, including our faith-based community, to help assist uh, our schools. So one thing I, I just want to say is that I believe as a school board member, it is of course my responsibility to look at the needs of the entire school district and the whole student body. And, and when I make decisions, I'm thinking about all students. But as a school board member, we're also in a position where we need to put priorities on different areas. And so in the past, I've been criticized a bit for talking too much about what's happening in special education and what's happening to our students with disabilities, but I feel it's imperative that we shed a light on what's going on, and it's not just the juvenile justice system, it's kids on shortened days, it's kids not in classrooms with well-qualified teachers, and so it is gonna continue to be a priority for me because I don't think we're doing enough to help these students. Well, I just would like to know, uh, my opponent has been on the school board for three years. This is not a problem that just started. This has happened year after year. We have looked at the data over and over and over again. When are we going to do something about this? We're not going to be able to do something about it if we don't have a voice at the table for those that we serve who understand the, the dynamics and the issues of our communities. I get that. I have been there. I was identified as a special education student very early on. My parents advocated for me year after year to take me out of that class. But you know what? And I have friends who went through the whole special education system as well. Their trajectory was totally different. Totally different. We need to give choices and paths for our children to succeed. And that includes our African-American and Latino, black and brown children in our schools. And I will bring that voice. Well, this is a nice segue to the next question um, that we have. Um, what works in closing the minority achievement gap? And what doesn't work to close the minority achievement gap? And also, um, if elected, will you pledge to return to this setting to hold a public meeting to report back on the school board's accomplishments or recommendations that were implemented to close the achievement gap between students of color and white students? Well, I'll take the second question first, and absolutely. As an elected official, we should always be in the public eye and willing to stand behind our record. So with regards to what we have accomplished in the last years on the, in the school district is we've made tremendous gains at the elementary education level. We have seen the percentage of students scoring proficient for African-American students actually double 
in that period of time. And one program that I can speak to very personally is the Avitops program. This is a program I co-founded as board chair of the Boys and Girls Club, a partnership with the Madison School District. And we now have over 1,500 students between high school and college who are on their way to earning a college degree. And these students, most of them are first-generation college students. 75% of the students in the program are students of color. We have seen the percentage of students uh, of Latino background who have more than doubled the percentage that are going on to college. It is a program that works. We have to make sure it's reaching more African-American students, but it's been incredibly successful in the only eight years at seeing students not only graduate from high school, but graduate from college. So we need to build on what's working. We have to be honest about what's not working, and we have to make sure that we have programs that address the areas in which we aren't being successful. I believe that the minority achievement gap is a top priority of mine. It, it's something that we have to be continually bringing back into the forefront. And as Mary said, looking at what's working and what's not working. I have been supportive of uh, Superintendent Cheatham's work with the National Equity Project about looking at a higher level about staff and implicit bias and how we view our students and being able to call that out and identify that. I think that's a high level strategy. I also believe that in order to close the, the achievement gap, we also have to be dismantling the structures that are continually acting as barriers for our children of color and other marginalized groups. For example, one thing I could say is we have um, some of the least qualified teachers working with some of the kids with the most needs. That's something that has to change. I also think we need to be targeting resources to close the opportunity gaps that lead to disparate academic outcomes. And to go back to the question, what have I done in my first three years? I've done that. I've increased funding for our intensive support team that provides mental health services for students. I've increased funding for building bridges, which provides access to mental health services, and I've sponsored funding for circles of support that wraps around our African-American students in our elementary schools. So the minority achievement gap, I think what we really need to work on is ensuring that we um, meet the basic needs of our students, right? They can't, um, I just ran into a child who was homeless, uh, who was struggling, middle school student, um, uh, staying at Salvation Army with his family. How do we expect this young man to succeed when everything around him is telling them that he can't? We have to ensure that basic needs are met. Uh, we also have to um, ensure that they find themselves and they feel valued in their classroom, in their schools. They see, they see teachers that look like them, right? Teachers who understand their struggle, teacher who, teachers who can relate. Those, those simple things, we can develop all the programming in the world, but if our students don't feel like they're part of something bigger, then it's not gonna happen. It is not gonna happen. We need to ensure that we are providing a safe environment for our students of color. 
to reduce the achievement gap. They need to be, be they need to feel like they belong. When you look at our Nuestro Mundo students, our Latino students, they go into our, those schools because they see themselves, they, they are bringing something of value that other students are learning from them. And that is their culture and their language. That is what we need to uh, incorporate more into our schools. Definitely work on and, and promote what's working. We need to do that um, and assess all that and, and develop strategies on, on not um, investing on what's not working. Uh, but really, it's just the basic needs is we need teachers who look like them. We need to ensure that our students' um, needs are being met. Um, and it needs to be in a very inclusive environment. I, I just want to add that there are, I believe that feeling included and being valued is critical to the piece around student achievement. And I really want to highlight the work that has been done at Thoreau Elementary about making sure students and families are front and center. And I think something that Thoreau has done that's been really powerful is that they've actually gone to the families and the students and asked what supports they need. And so I do believe that part of closing the racial achievement gap is making sure that we're talking to the families and the students and letting us, letting them lead the discussion. So um, speaking of building on what's working, um, in my own work at Simpson Street Free Press, um, we sometimes you know, disagree a little bit with the most committee or Madison out of school time committee. We feel out of school time is a necessary and crucial tool in bridging the achievement gap. And that OST or out of school time programs focused on academics are very important. Other members of the Madison out of school time committee um, advocate for a little bit of less of uh, academic focus. Will you please discuss your view of out-of-school time and its role in getting the student outcomes that we all want? Sure, I'm very familiar with the Madison out-of-school time. It is, uh, it started with the city uh, initiative, the education committee uh, that I am a part of. Um, we do have a, a long way to go on that. I think it does, it's not inclusive. It does not provide a well-rounded support to serve all of our children and we need to um, do better on that. Um, and we have to uh, ensure that we are providing an opportunity for academics. I love Simpson Street Free Press. And that is something we have to um, support and bring our children into more and more. I mean, I see how, I, I see the students and how they have just, uh, just done so well after coming out of Simpson Street Free Press. And we need to do more of that. So Madison out of school time, it started with initiative. I was part of that education committee. Um, and we still have a lot of work to do, uh, but it does provide some opportunities for, for parents to know what options are out there for their, their students um, that are out of schools that for when they're out of school. But one thing I want to mention is, do you, anybody remember the loft here? That was something that was so, I, I mentioned at the arts um, uh, forum last week, and that was an amazing place. That was a place where students could promote their creativity, learn from other students. Um, it, it was a place that all of our students went. And you know what? There were a lot of uh, students of color that attended. It was a very diverse place for people, for students to come. And it was a, it, it was a broad range of uh, opportunities, right? It was academics, it was arts, it was all across the board. And we need to ensure that we promote more uh, places like that. 
So in regard to most, um, I also, as a school board member, served on the City Education Committee for two years, and this was a topic that came to the committee a number of times. In regard to what I think is valuable for out-of-school time, I really think that should be an opportunity for organizations to close that opportunity, the opportunity gaps that exist for our kids, in particular our kids that are living in poverty versus our middle-class students. I think that I, I take that feedback from students that maybe there is too much of a focus on academics, and are we, as an educator, I look at if you want students engaged and, and engaged in the learning, you want to make that meaningful and relevant. And so that's where I think something like Simpson Free, Free Press, Simpson Street Free Press, is such a valuable, valuable tool because you're using actual literacy skills in the context of something that's meaningful to our students. And so I do feel like that's important. And I think what happened in the past weeks and at the Arts Forum, really that importance of looking beyond just academics and making sure all kids have access to well-rounded opportunities. And I, and I think that is important for us to look at most. The one concern I have about most that I continue to have, it, it, it is just a start. We do need to look at who's accessing programs because I still see a really significant gap in that area. Uh, I think the after-school, out-of-school programs are incredibly important uh, to the health of our community, to supporting students. And I got involved in the, in the school district through the Boys and Girls Club and out-of-school programs. And in co-founding the AVID TOPS program, I remember how difficult it was as a nonprofit, as a community organization, to go to the district and partner. There has not been an open willingness on behalf of the school district in order to have outreach, meaningful partnerships with community organizations. And the fact is, is Madison has some amazing community organizations like Simpson Street Press, like the Southside Raiders, like the Boys and Girls Club, like Centro Hispano, like Vera Court. You can go on and on. And in fact, we should look at all of these organizations as being our strong partners and a very strong handoff after the hours that school runs. None of us can do this alone. This is about partnerships. It's about working together. It's about seeing that we're all in this together to support our students. And that's the only way that we're going to move ahead. So we'll move on to the next question. Describe your experience in working with African-American and Latino youth and how that experience will inform your decision-making as a school board member. Um, I would say my experience working with African-American and Latino youth comes both from being a public educator um, as well as being an advocate for children and youth with mental health needs in Dane County. The majority of the families that I work with um, do have children or youth um, that are uh, students of color. 
So I, I've gained a lot of experience from working with the families and seeing the challenges and barriers that they repeatedly face, not just in our schools, but also in the community, trying to secure services and supports um, for their children. Especially, it's for me, it's a little bit heartbreaking because I see where folks are working so hard just to gather things for their children that everybody else takes for granted. And, and it really has a, a multiplying effect on our families when they're also struggling with poverty or mental health issues or barriers to transportation. So that's, that is my experience. Uh, I've been privileged to work with so many different families. I have to say they're some of the most resilient amazing people that I know of and um, it's really guided a lot of my work on the Board of Education and priority areas that I've tried to focus on in my first term. My history does go back to 18 years ago and mentoring two boys, seven and nine, who lived on Fisher Street, uh, Terrell and Bubba, and I wish I had a really happy story to tell but it didn't end up that well. But what I learned from it was about all the challenges uh, that young people can face. And, uh, and that the answers aren't easy. But it's what, what motivated me to dedicate as much of my life and my time and my resources to making the world a more equitable place. Uh, I can't walk in their shoes. I never will. But what I do is I mentor students, young woman who is in the AVID TOPS program at East High, another young woman who, through Dane County Health and Human Services, uh, was aging out of foster care, and I tried to provide the supports that she needed to get on her feet and establish a life on her own as a single mother. Uh, and so I listen and I reach out and I get involved and that's what informs my work on the school district. So I like this question. Um, so I have, um, you know, as Latino, growing up in Madison, I grew up in uh, Darbo neighborhood, Kennedy Heights, Veracourt. My family moved around a lot. It was very diverse. Um, and so I grew up with black um, neighbors. Um, I, have, I am infused in our communities of color. I have biracial kids, um, black and Latino. I understand the challenges every day of what our, our children and our students go through. Uh, when I'm at the table in the mayor's office, whatever table I'm at, it is natural for me to talk about the issues of our, of our black and Latino um, community. Um, just recently, I've been working with Pastor Allen in regards to the stolen vehicles that are occurring in our city, all inv involving, most of them are all black uh, middle school children. It was not hard for me to reach out to our black and Latino community and our, our organizations to come together because it's natural for me. I am so infused in this community. And so when I'm elected to the school board, that is what you will get. 
you will get somebody who not only understands it, but is also can voice it and is not scared to voice it, will call it out every moment. Every time there's a budget decision, every time there's a policy decision, it's going to impact our communities of color, and I'm going to speak up for it. Thank you. Well, I'll let uh, Terry ask another question because we have uh, one that's we seem to be pretty important. Um, it's imperative to have representation in our schools when it comes to providing instruction to children. What is your plan to recruit, to hire, and retain teachers of color in this school district? We, should, we need to make this a priority, uh, but I think we have to separate it out. We have to separate it out, not just say uh, teachers of color. We have to separate it out between African-American and Latino teachers. Because of the great um, popularity and success of our DLI programs, our dual language immersion programs, we actually have seen very large increases in Latino teachers in our schools, which is, which is great. Um, we have not seen the same sort of increases in African-American teachers. And so I think we have to look at these as both very important, but also we need to be tracking separately. We need to reach out beyond our Madison borders. The school district is doing, if you, if you place an ad and look at who applies and then you choose, the school, you can say the school district is doing a good job. But what the fact is, is we do not have the same percentage of African-American uh, teachers as African-American teachers nationwide. It's about 7%. So we need to do better. We need to go beyond the Madison borders. We need to make this a community that is friendly and accepting and welcoming of African-American professionals. We have work to do. But that's what we should be doing, is setting that as, as our vision of the type of school district we want to be and the type of community we want to be. So I'm very, I'm, I'm in support of the recently uh, Grow Your Own initiative that uh, Dr. Cheatham and her staff have promoted. I think it's really important to start talking to our children about uh, growing our own in our community. I've done that and I have been the voice for promoting diversity within law enforcement. And I kept complaining about how we always went out to the Green Bay area to recruit, right? We want to have people who know our community, who have relationship with our community, to teach our children. That is what we need. And you know, my opponent was opposed to Grow Your Own just because of the grade point average, right? Well, that is not, we should not be uh, eliminating a program because it will you know, uh, eliminate a few children. No, we need to get our children up to that grade point average. That is my problem. We continue to see our children of color from a deficit level. We need to ensure that we prepare our children. If they want to be ed educators, let's get them there. Let's work on that. And if there is a minimum requirement of 2.5 GPA or whatever it is, well, then let's get them there. But we need to continue to promote our teachers of color, and I strongly believe that they are right here in our community. I definitely agree that we need to make sure that uh, we're not only recruiting teachers of color, but we're also retaining our teachers of color. One thing I believe that we need to do a better job in that area to keep our educators is to really afford them the respect that they deserve in their position. Um, I, and I think a, 
when we look at the data of where our educators at, in the lower pay levels, I think it's really a problem when we look at the lower loving pay job or wages, it's more teachers of color. And I don't think we've given them a clear path of how to move up a ladder. And then we really, like I think of our special education assistants, they have some of the hardest jobs out there. And we've only just now, in the past year, with my leadership work to giving them a living wage. So I think we need to be providing our teachers with adequate pay and also good working conditions. I also say around um, recruitment, I know at least five people who have come to me personally who grew up in our community, went through our school system, folks of color applied to work in our school district and they were not hired. That is unacceptable. I believe that we have talent here and we need to be tapping into it and making those folks a priority and making sure that they stay in our school district. So um, there's a couple questions here from the audience that I'm gonna kind of combine and we're gonna circle back to the first question that we asked and uh, part of that is one of the questions I, is signed by two of uh, Simpson Street students and I wanna make sure their voices are heard. Uh, to middle school students from Senate Middle School. Um, so they say, um, what are your ideas for keeping students safe in the schools when it comes to gun control? And then there's another question here. Um, do you think teachers should have guns in the classroom? So keeping our students safe. Um, okay, I'm against uh, teachers um, having guns, okay. Um, and uh, as a law enforcement officer, I understand the, the training it took and the repetitiveness of having, uh, carrying a weapon and um, of training that you need. And we don't want, and the stress that that causes, we don't want to put our teachers in that role. Um, and with gun legislation, we have to ensure uh, that we go and we fight as a board uh, to, to fight against the easy accessibility of guns uh, in our community. I was faced with that as deputy mayor uh, to public safety last summer. We saw an increase of guns in our community. And as you recall, there was an increase of shots fired all over the place. And so we need to continue to advocate. And what I love the most of what's happening today is our students are taking the lead. Our students are leading this effort and that's exactly what needs to be happen. happen. Cause we have, we will continue to fight as a board behind you, but we need our students to, to do exactly what they're doing to promote gun legis tough gun laws uh, that ensure that our students uh, and those in our community are, do not have uh, easy accessibility to, our, to guns. Um, well, I, I appreciate this question. I was just talking with the students, I think, who submitted it earlier, and I, I appreciate their feedback because I, in talking to them, wanted to know what they felt like is important. And, and I think that's critical in this discussion, and I shared this at a panel discussion um, out on the east side earlier this week that the reality of having this many guns in our community isn't something that, that I personally grew up with, but it is the reality for many of our students today. And, and because this is something that I don't have experience with, I do want to defer to our students and allow them to talk about what they feel needs to be put in place. Based on my experience in the field of mental health, I, I will continue 
um, to advocate for more wraparound support for folks that have unmet mental health needs. I think a lot of times when we talk about gun violence, we talk about the more high profile things like mass shootings, when actually much more um, tragedy is happening within suicide, and that's suicide by gun. And it's a tremendous issue that we need to be discussing as well. I also believe in addressing gun violence, we have to have common sense gun laws. We should not have 300 million guns floating around our community, and we certainly shouldn't have assault-style weapons accessible to anybody. And finally, again, I'll go back. I think the, the foundational thing is we have to ensure that we're meeting our students' needs. I, I think our schools have to be safe, and I don't think we should be allowing guns in them. I certainly don't favor arming teachers, adding more guns to the situation of people who aren't trained, professionally trained to use them would only uh, make the situation worse. But I think this is where we have to come together as a community and figure out what the best solutions are. That means law enforcement. It means the students. It means our community organizations. It means our staff and our teachers. And that is how we're going to come up with the solutions that work. It's easy at this type of time to come up with, uh, with things that feel good to us, that seem like they're solutions, but they may not be. And so we need to take the time to show that Madison is the type of the community that comes up with the types of solutions that work and help support our students while keeping our schools safe. And that's the, that is what I have found as a board member over the years is we have to be passionate about finding the solutions, but we shouldn't come at it with only one, thinking we have one answer that is going to be the only answer. The issues are co complex. If they were easy, we would have solved them already. And I am a big believer in bringing people together and making sure that we're making the best decisions for our kids. Okay, speaking of those solutions and bringing people together to make those decisions, Mary, I, I'm gonna start with you on this question. Um, do you support the idea of educational resource officers in our high schools? Why or why not? And what alternatives would you suggest? I, I do support educational resource officers in our schools. I think they have to be trained to be supportive of students while keeping the schools safe. We have seen many positive relationships that have developed uh, from those situations, and they are adults in the schools who have been trained on the use of, uh, of how to keep our schools safe. And so I think that this is important. It doesn't mean that there aren't ways that we need to make those relationships and how they operate in the schools safer for our students. Uh, but I think it's absolutely critical to have, uh, to have them in our schools. And I think we have seen uh, positive benefits. And the importance is of having the framework around which that's their job to support students and the safety of our schools. And when we're seeing otherwise, that shouldn't be accepted and we need to either change officers or we need to change the rules under which they're operating in our schools. 
So educational resource officers in our schools has been a very big topic over the past couple of years. Um, this has been an issue that has been a priority for me, being an advocate for children and youth with mental health needs. Um, we see a disproportionate number of our kids um, having interactions with law enforcement, and we see incidents where sometimes our kids are um, getting into trouble for actually being a kid and sometimes behaving in ways that are out of their control. So this is an issue that's important to me. I am very proud of the work that the Board of Education has done to open up this conversation to the community because there are a lot of people that are passionate and care about this issue and want to have feedback. And in the past 20 years, when the discussion of EROs came up, there was no opportunity for any feedback. Decisions were made behind closed doors, and this was an opportunity to open that discussion to the public. I am very proud of our committee. We have wonderful community members as part of it. Part of this journey that I'm on with the ERO committee, though, is to bring forward rep uh, recommendations to the full Board of Education. So my position on EROs at this point, I'm trying to stay with the work of the committee so we can bring those recommendations together as a whole. During the process, though, I have been so impressed with our EROs. I've met with all of them, and they're wonderful individuals that are doing many good things for our students. So I do support EROs at our schools, um, and um, I actually applied to be on that committee, no hard feelings, I didn't get selected. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but I, I think I, EROs play a critical role in our schools, and I do support them. Um, and I, I spent significant amount of time with the experts who are reviewing the, MP, the Madison Police Department policies and, um, and procedures, uh, and the experts on this topic. And uh, EROs play a critical role, but we can't use them solely for enforcement action. Uh, we cannot do that. Um, the, uh, the school to prison pipeline wasn't just caused by, caused by officers in our schools. Right? It was caused by the culture of what was happening in our schools. And what I'm concerned about is if we take EROs out of our schools today, all the underlying issues that are happening in our schools will continue. We will just get a call for service from an officer who will come who will have no connection uh, to our students. So I really do support EROs in our schools. In fact, I work closely with Greg Rossetti, who is one of my favorite officers who brought uh, restorative justice practices in our schools. That came from an officer. That didn't come from our schools. That came from a Madison Police Department. And then I implemented one of the first few restorative justice practices, uh, youth courts on the south side as a neighborhood officer. Well, what I'm trying to do is not put my position out there so that the committee can work through the process. We're supposed to be giving recommendations to the board at, in May of 2018. And the group came together and we all said we would enter into the conversation with an, with an open mind, open to all options. I think one thing definitively that I would say is we do have a one-year um, at in April vote to end the contract, I definitively would not support that. 
um, that doesn't allow the, the group to move through the process. Where I'm at right now, if I, would ha if I would say looking at the context that we're in right now with the climate as well as the readiness at the school-based level as far as structures to remove EROs, I would not support that at this time. I think that's something that we could look at down the road if we actually feel that that's the direction that we move in as a district. At, at this point, we, we haven't gotten to that phase in the decision making. I think some things that have come out of the discussion is we've done a lot of, we've done some exploration around like intergovernmental contracts where different entities would be working together. Um, there's been discussion there. We, we really haven't gotten to the place where we put forward the recommendations. But the meetings are all public so folks can attend. And, and be part of the conversation, provide public comments. We're really looking for the community to weigh in on this topic because it affects all of us. So um, I did um, seek uh, Progressive Dane's endorsement uh, for um, my candidacy. Uh, in my interview, they were totally opposed to EROs in our schools. Uh, and that was one of the reasons from what I hear that I did not get uh, their endorsement. Uh, my opponent did get the Progressive Danes endorsement. So I'm going to switch it up just a little bit. Um, so candidate Moffitt, you said at a recent um, candidate forum that you had mixed feelings about pathways. Um, we would like to hear from you know all of you all about your views of pathways and how it's working so far and where it might go in the future. So the idea of pathways for folks that may need information about it is that there are actually like tracks or pathways that kids can opt into freshman year and then they would follow through that pathway and take specific coursework. Another part of it is that there are small learning communities so the groups of students actually get to work with one teacher who oversees all their classes. So I believe there are some really powerful things about pathways like the small learning communities. Um, my concern is that I don't understand why only kids in a pathway should have access to those types of supports. I also have concerns about pathways because we're asking 8th graders, ninth graders to choose coursework for the rest of their high school career. And there's also some issues around if a child wants to get out of a pathway, can they get into a different pathway or not? So those have been my concerns. We're just, this is the first year of implementing it, so I am looking forward to see what we find out about the pathway. I wouldn't support going wall to wall with pathways, meaning every kid would have to be in a, a, a specific pathway. And I think I'll continue to be watching whether the pathways are being used to track students and um, segregate different student groups within different pathways. Okay, show of hands, here, who here knows what a pathway is? Okay, good, you guys are pretty. So the first pathway was around healthcare, and there was quite a bit of interest in it, and the preliminary results that the board has seen with regards to student engagement uh, and uh, satisfaction with pathways is very high. 
And the students who get, have opted into it don't all want to feel like they have chosen healthcare as their career as ninth graders. But what it really helps to do is to open their eyes, to provide them with a, uh, a framework in which their classes tie together around common themes and learning that can translate into careers. And what we have found, and the reason that I support moving ahead with Pathways, is because we need to tie what students are doing in high school with what their opportunities are going to be when they graduate from high school, and they need to be prepared. The fact is, our economy has changed. 20 years ago, you could graduate from high school and you could get a good paying job with benefits. That's not true anymore. We need to be preparing our kids so when they do graduate from high school, they are prepared to go that next step or to get a good paying job that is going to support them and a family. And Pathways is our way of doing that. Like Anna, I, we need to look at the actual experience of what's happening, the student satisfaction, the learning, before we go full all in, because this is a complete um, uh, uh, program for our entire high schools. But I think it's where we have to be going. We need to connect with our students, and they need to connect with their future. I do support Pathways. I support any and all options for our children. Um, you know, I strongly believe and I understand how having a strong public school uh, really translates to having a strong economic development for our city and our community. We need to prepare our students for the workforce and offering as many opportunities and options as possible. Uh, I remember when I was in, in, in high school, everything that was talked about around me was a four-year degree. There was no other option. So we failed many children who didn't have other options. And I think the more we promote that in our schools, the better. Um, you know, I just a couple years ago, I, rem I, I spoke with Cheatham and her staff about re-engagement efforts of our at-risk youth. And because I was witnessing out in our community that uh, we had so many youth who were not engaged in our schools for a variety of reasons, right? And I think Options is able to bring students, if they're, if they're interested in something, whatever that may be, promote that opportunity for them. Um, so, and now, uh, the, the, uh, Dr. Cheatham just promoted and uh, introduced uh, her Opportunity Youth um, Project. And I, it, that came out from two years of discussions um, with Cheatham and her staff about how we're going to deal with our at-risk youth. And I think this is an opportunity to engage our, and provide options for our children. My one thing, and, and I just want to say, Mary, that I agree that children need to be seeing what their future will look like, perhaps, and having that meaningful connection to our education. But one thing about Pathways that is concerning to me is that the folks who are deciding what the pathways will be are not always representing the students that are facing the most challenges in our school district. And we really, as we move forward with the pathways, we have to make sure that we're including all of the students' voices, all of the families' voices, not just the handful that show up every week at the board meeting or take the survey online. 
Um, we have an audience uh, question from the audience. How would you help retain and support our district's special education teachers in an environment where they are desperately needed and stretched beyond capacity? We need to make sure that we have not only the, the right amount of staff, but we need to make sure that they are trained. And so the issue that came to the board at the start of this last school year was that, uh, was that there wasn't enough staffing of special education assistance uh, and the district had been moving towards more cross-categorical teachers and less of the assistants. Uh, that really wasn't working in a number of schools. And so we need to make sure that we have the proper staffing, that the interventions are effective, and that, uh, and that we're balancing those needs between the teachers and the educational assistants. Uh, but what we need to get back to is looking at whether the work that's being done and the interventions that are being done are actually being successful. Because we can have all the people in the schools, but if those interventions are not supporting our students and they're not getting re-engaged in the classroom, we're not doing our jobs. Our staff are the key to all the work that goes on. All the student learning that goes on starts and ends with our staff. And if they don't feel supported, our students aren't going to learn. And so this is something that we look at. We have added staff in this last go around in order to meet those needs and we have to get ahead of it and the process that the district is using is much better coming up for this next school year than it was in the last school year. So I mean, something uh, that we do in the city is performance excellence. Really, it, it really is um, strategically just looking at um, what are the issues, what are the challenges that are happening in our city. Um, and that is looking, getting all feedback from the, what I would do, I would uh, implement that same strategy, is talk to the teachers uh, and everybody that in the support workers who are surrounding in this area who know more than what I would know, and listen to them and develop strategies on what their needs are. Uh, I do think that um, we need to um, uh, ensure that there's proper training uh, and that we support our teachers and um, ensuring that, they're, that there's, it's a small enough class size that they can handle, uh, that the resources are sufficient. Uh, my, my sister was actually a special education assistant and she didn't last very long. Uh, she was uh, deeply injured, um, she was bit on the hand and she was not able to stay. So those are the kinds of things that we need to prevent and we need to continue to hear those voices and strategize how we're going to respond. So special education is, is really a, a challenging area of education right now. In order to keep teachers in the area of special education, first and foremost, I think we need to listen to our special educators when they come with their concerns. As an advocate, I work very closely with a lot of our special educators as well as our student services staff. And what I hear people saying is that they are being stretched way too thin. 
they are being asked to do too many jobs and aren't being able to actually provide direct services to the students, which that is what they are there for, is to work with our students, but they're doing too many other things. And really, a lot of our educators feel like they haven't had the professional development to have them really do their job the best that they can do. So I believe those are all critical things in keeping special education staff in our schools. I have also, as a board member, advocated for smaller class sizes. When you have such a large class and you're trying to serve so many different kids and their needs, I think we're setting up teachers to not be successful and we're also setting up our kids' failure in the process. I've also fought for a living wage for our special education assistants because they work very, very hard and they should have a living wage. One issue we didn't talk about with this is the role of having higher staffing of mental health specialists. So what I've heard when I've gone to the schools and spoken to our staff is that it's where we really are lacking is getting at the root cause of the behavioral issues in which they're asked to intervene. And, uh, and that's not their role in the school. And what we need to do in the schools is place a much better, uh, much higher priority on actually addressing the mental health issues of our students. And that would take the burden away from the SEAs and the cross-categorical teachers uh, if we're getting at the root causes. So we, I think we only have uh, time for one or two questions. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but so uh, as a United Way agency, um, with Simpson Street Free Press and an MMSD partner, uh, we've looked closely at the revisions to the Academic Success Mobilization Plan and the MMSD Strategic Framework. And just generally, we hear more and more about using six-year graduation rates as a measurement tool. The question is, uh, are graduation rates four-year or six-year uh, reliable measurement tools? Obviously, graduation rates are important, uh, but what kinds of measurements do you all um, think are important in terms of um, student success, and what kinds of things do you look at when assessing our success as a district? I think we should look at both of them. I think that four-year is should be the standard. That's what we should be pushing for so for our students. Uh, many of the students who graduate in six years do so, but they don't go on to the post-secondary education, whether it's a two-year or four-year high school, that's really going to prepare them for a good-paying job. And we shouldn't set our sights on just high school graduation we need to set our sights on how we're preparing our students to be able to support themselves and a family, to be college or career ready. Uh, and, and so the, the reason I would still look at the six year is that we need to meet students where they're at. And too often I feel like if students fall behind in credits that were, and they're not going to graduate in four years, that we lose track of them, that we lose the emphasis on them. And I think we should make sure that students get to the finish line regardless of whether they fall behind early on or not, and that they feel welcome, 
They feel inspired, they feel motivated, and they feel supported to continue on and to see a future. Because what was really sad and what is, um, is an indicator of us not doing our jobs is if we have 16 and 17 year olds who don't see their own future. We gotta make sure that as long as they are with us, that they see a bright future and that they believe that we're going to be supporting them and getting there. I believe we need to be looking at both sets of graduation rates because I think each student is an individual and they may be traveling a different path towards graduation and to say if you don't get out in four years somehow we're going to lose track of you, I don't think that is fair. I think the other issue though when we talk about graduation rates that we need to talk more about is when kids are graduating are we fulfilling our obligation to make sure that they are career, college, and community ready? And I have a concern with the work that I do that I actually see students that are being graduated, their families are not wanting them to graduate, and they are not prepared to graduate, but because we put this priority on four-year graduation rates, the schools are actually graduating them when they're not prepared. So I think we really also need to be talking about not just graduation rates, but other indicators like what is their GPA? What is their attendance? Let's look at engagement with the school community. Can they identify people in the schools that they have relationships? Um, there's a lot of other things that we need to be looking at and when do they see their future? Do they have a path to post-secondary or post-secondary employment or education? I think those are all important things. Yeah, I think that um, in assessing success, I, I would like to see um, the improvements, uh, continued improvements within our, our students of color in graduation. Uh, in ensuring that they are workforce ready, college ready, workforce ready. Um, I would like to ensure that we are keeping track of that. And if that is not happening, if we're not seeing improvements, which I know we have, uh, is what's working and, and assessing that. Um, but I agree with uh, both the candidates up here today is, is really looking at the four and the six year. Um, so in a quote, um, or in a recent column in the Wisconsin State Journal, um, Mark Pitch um, said a quote that um, he said, the Madison School District has been less than forthcoming about uh, um, disturbing allegations against teachers. Um, in one case, a middle school teacher was dismissed after a dispute with a student, but district officials refused to share details. Um, in another case, a high school refused to share details on student allegations and a teacher's sudden retirement, including whether MMSD investigations substantiated student allegations. Uh, so more generally, the question is, I want to ask, you know, what is your commitment and the school board's commitment to transparency? I'm all about transparency. In city government, I strongly believe that, and that's how I've done my work, is that if it is transparent, we're not gonna have any issues. Um, so I strongly believe that as a board member uh, and a school district, we have to uh, be transparent of what's happening in our schools. And I understand that that has not been happening. Um, and I, I've seen our schools work in isolation. 
uh, in their own little uh, community, and I think we that we that's not hap that's not working anymore. Um, and so, I, I would advocate strongly for policies um, in figuring out ways to share that information. Now, I understand we have to be careful because we're dealing with uh, juvenile um, records, right? We, so we have to be careful. Uh, but as much as we can, be as transparent as possible, and the more information that we allow our community to have, the better will, they will be informed, the better the, the, the school board will be informed to ensure that we are implementing policies that are going to help the outcomes of our children. I agree that transparency needs to be a priority for the school district. As a school board member, this has been something that I have been working on, um, as well as the rest of the board. I think we've done little things to increase transparency, like getting our agenda up and our monthly schedule up so folks that want to come to our board of education meetings know what's on the agenda and can prepare for that to bigger things like putting together the Educational Resource Ad Hoc Committee. That was done to increase transparency around um, the policy around educational resource officers in our schools. So I firmly believe in that. I feel like the work that we've done on the ad hoc committee, we've learned a lot from the process. Um, what, are the, what are some of the limitations and struggles of, of bring, truly bringing the community into an authentic discussion around policies? So I know we will use this work as we move forward to looking at other issues that are of key importance in our community. Um, in regard to uh, student information, I know it can be a struggle, but we are accountable to federal laws around um, students' uh, privacy, and I know that can be frustrating sometimes for families. Uh, as, as with the other candidates, I'm all in favor of transparency, but we, we also have to protect our students, uh, and we also have uh, legal obligations to, to protecting personnel, too. And there are processes in which we go through to make sure that the laws are upheld, that our students are safe, and I think what's most important is with regards to our students, that we make sure that when they are in our schools, that they are safe and that we have personnel that are there to support them and protect them. And we will fight for that, and I will fight for that as a board member anytime. And so that transparency is, is something that underlies everything uh, that we do, but we also are uh, governed by other laws and we have to make sure that we are uh, adhering to those as well. So um, I have oversight of the Madison Police Department policy review uh, process that's happening in the city in reviewing the Madison Police Department. So transparency has been part of that discussion um, and even the implementation of the committee. And um, it was a slow process to start uh, but I wanted to ensure that this, this we did right, that we ensured that we, there was transparency, that we had all voices at the table who are part of the committee, who are making the decisions, who are most impacted by policing decisions. Uh, and so I was very a part of that. It was a slow process, but it was well worth it. We have, we have had community engagement um, 
meetings. We have had so many contacts with so many different um, uh, organizations of color who are most impacted by police uh, that at the end of the day, we're going to have a product that's um, going to be very transparent and it's going to be, it's going to include all the voices um, uh, in part of the discussion. So it is time to wrap up. So if we can have closing remarks from each of the candidates um, and we uh, will be done after that. Well, I thank everyone for coming out tonight. I'm not sure if it was clear from the start, but I, I don't have an opponent. Um, so I look forward to serving uh, three more years on the Madison School Board and I'm here tonight and I serve because I care so deeply about education and I care most deeply about the students who are not being served currently in our district. And we gotta do a better job and I hope that all of you continue to do the work that you do, whether it's as parents or as community leaders or as volunteers uh, to keep pushing our community forward. I also want to thank you all for being here tonight. I know the, the weather wasn't the best. Um, you know, in conclusion, I just want to say that I believe that education is the key factor in success in life, and that's why I've de dedicated my entire life to, to improving educational outcomes for our students, in particular our students that have not been served well in our school district and have been marginalized in our community. I have done this work for the first term and I will continue to make that a priority um, in my second term as a representative on the Board of Education and I would like to ask for your support and your vote on April 3rd. And in the last moment, I would just like to uh, recognize that this is the um, third the anniversary of the shooting of Tony Robinson. It's been three years and I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that. I just want to say that we have a student body that is becoming more diverse. Uh, we are making policies and budget decisions um, every day that impact them. And we need uh, an individual on the board who represents all voices. We need a board that represents all voices. I bring a voice of somebody who has grew, grown up in this community, grown up with similar challenges that our students are faced with today. Um, uh, and I have been able to transcend those experiences into my professional career. I have struggled. I have overcome many, many uh, barriers. And I want, we need people on the board who look like them. We need to, we need to promote elected officials who can be the voice for our children. Now we need a diverse board uh, that represents all voices. And I bring that voice. I bring the community voice. I bring the voice of our students of color. I bring the voice of ensuring that we have a safe school. Um, and I bring the voice of uh, what's happening in the economic development and the importance of education um, in our city and community. So vote for Gloria Reyes on April 3rd. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cap Times Talks. We put these talks together about once a month or so. In the meantime, you can check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, The Cost of Opportunity, and another show brimming with great conversations just like this one 
called Live from Camp Times Idea Fest. Please subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you may find podcasts. I'm Eric Lawrenson, and thanks again for listening.